This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into another exciting edition of the Pipeline Podcast. We are officially hostless. Some might say rudderless right now, but I think both Jim Callis and myself, Jonathan Mayo, will be able to somehow steer the ship. Jim, do you think we can we can handle podcasting, just me and you? Yeah, we, we've done it a few times in the past, so I, I think we can do this. We'll, we'll, we'll miss Jordan Schusterman, just like we missed Tim McMaster after, after Tim left us. But there, there were several times. I mean, Jordan, I almost felt like his schedule was was busier than ours. So I, I think we'll be just fine. It's like a cautionary tale for anyone who becomes the host. It's turning into like a spinal tap drummer. Yeah, except they're not spontaneously combusting. They're going on to, I don't know if I should say bigger and better, but we'll say, uh, we'll just say different podcast opportunities. So, you know, that's fair enough. Well, I think we're ready to go. I have my hand sanitizer right here. I can... I can guarantee that at this moment, this is a coronavirus-free podcast. You know, that's that's good, uh, especially as I continue my running around in Arizona. I uh, got a little, little time here, and Jim, you'll be here uh, in about six days or so, and we'll get to some spring training talk in a little bit, but we've got a lot of content since we last podcasted. And probably uh, the thing that is the biggest, and obviously most current because it just came out, today as we're podcasting was the first time we have ever ranked all 30 farm systems. I don't know about you, Jim. I feel like, uh, I feel a little more, more complete that we were able to extend it all the way to all 30 teams. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm glad we did too. I, you know, we get asked all the time, like, Hey, we get asked by fans and we get asked by people in baseball. Hey, where do you see our farm system? And, and I always tell people there's a lot of work that goes into to lining up the farm systems so like if we like when I first got to MLB.com, I think we were doing we started by doing 10 and I tell people like, you know, if you didn't make our top 10 or you weren't in the running, I, I can't really tell you if, if the organization's 16th or 25th without sitting there and actually you know spending a few minutes trying to break it all down. And, you know, my standard line, Jonathan, is, you know, whenever anybody ranks farm systems, because we did this at Baseball America for several years while I was there, <laughs> you make one team happy. One team's like, yep, we're right where we should be. And 29 other teams think you have them too low. And that applies for their fans, too. I'm sure your Twitter feed's been blowing up. How can we be this low? You know, other places have us higher. I, I've gotten a lot of that. No, I, I mean, on one hand, I'm glad we did it. On the other hand, I do think it's the most uh, largest margin of error, you know, when, when you rank farm systems, because you're ranking, you know, essentially a collection of 200-plus players in 30 different organizations. And it, it it's tough. I mean, there are a lot of times if guys haven't developed, you know, they're, they're in the lower levels of a system, you look back three years later and, boy, wow, you know, we were low on that system considering how these guys turned out. But, I mean, when, when you were lining up your rankings, what do you look at when you're trying to compare organization to A to B to C and, and so on? Uh, I do it totally based on how much I like the farm directors. No, I'm just kidding. You know, I think, you know, in the 
introduction, uh, it was explained the, the best. You wrote the introduction. Um, I'm, not, I'm not just saying that to like, you know, pump you up, uh, but in terms of finding that, you know, the, a combination of impacts, you know, slash elite level slash top 100 type guys, depth in the system. To me, those are the two biggest things. And I think those outweigh like proximity to the big leagues and, and, and like a balance between position players and pitchers. And you mentioned ceilings and floors. I think all of those things are important. A balance obviously shows, you know, if it's a system that has talent at every position, that's a team that's going to be up near the top. But uh, I, for me, I feel like the two things that you mentioned in the introduction, that the, the, the first two, impact, talent, and depth. Those are probably the two main things that, that I look at. I don't know if it, if uh, the callous formula is is configured any differently. No, and I'd say that that as well. I mean, the, the other things that, that we mentioned in the introduction are more kind of tiebreakers if you're trying. And look, I mean, we're, we're definitely splitting hairs when you're talking about organization 13 versus organization 14. But but it, to me, it is that the, the, the star talent and the depth. And, and I do, I know I personally lean more towards the star talent. I mean, yes, I'd like to have depth, but you win with stars. And, you know, I, I mean, I think you look around baseball, like I always think of the, the kind of exception that proved the rule, the 2005 White Sox. I don't know if they really had a bunch of superstars or really any superstars on that team, but they really didn't have any holes. So they're kind of the exception that, that proved the rule. But I'd, I'd rather have, you know, if you gave me my choice between and, you know, like the Rays are number one on our list. So they're not the best example because they have stars to hound and depth. But it, let's say it was just the Rays. And they had, you know, just Wander Franco and Brendan McKay and, you know, a couple other guys that you really liked, but not much depth. I, I would rather have that farm system than a team that, say, had depth but didn't have anybody in the top 50 or 60 prospects uh, on our top 100 prospects list. Yeah, I think I think that's that's fair. You know, all things all things being equal. And, and, you know, because we each sort of take ownership over. 10 teams, you know, you tend to, sometimes it means you like a system more or you get sick of a system a little more and have to fight against that uh, a little bit. But that's why all three of us worked on this together. Mike Rosenbaum, of course, our, our third musketeer, you know, weighed in on this as well. You mentioned the Rays at number one uh, overall, the Padres are two and the, and the Dodgers uh, are three. First thing, and someone actually asked me this uh, today, just about the the Padres not being number one anymore, and you know, I guess you know some of it. There's some graduation, Fernando Tatis, Luis Urias, who's since been traded, got got bumped off, but a lot of it just has to do with the Rays taking a step forward more so than the Padres falling. I mean, I think you could make an argument that the Padres could still be the number one number one farm system, uh, and I don't know that there's all that much for me separating the Rays and the Padres. No, I, I think that's fair. I mean, it was notable. It wasn't like we said, hey, well, let's have change, but it was notable because the Padres, you know, we, we ranked these guys twice a year, and the Padres had been, you know, number one, you know, four rankings in a row going back to, to preseason 2018. The, the interesting thing is I always tell people, too, these are a snapshot in time. It, it's not indicative of an organization's ability or inability to develop talent you know, it's just what the system looks at at precisely this moment. Like, for instance, we had the Red Sox at number 25 because their system, I mean, it was our number one farm system, I think, in 
maybe mid 2016. And that farm system through a lot of trades and a lot of graduations helped them win a world series. And now they're rebuilding it. it. You know, the Red Sox being 25th doesn't mean that they don't know what they're doing. You know, and, and one of the curious things about Rays versus Padres. And again, I mean, I, I think it's pretty close to me. I, I think the Padres just have a little bit more, you know, like they, they come out just slightly ahead for me, a little bit more depth, a few more, you know, top 100 caliber prospects. I, I kind of, you know, calculate that in my mind, not just all the guys on the top 100. Cause you know, when you're talking about the guys who are say maybe the 76th through the 125th best prospects in baseball, 25 of them make the top 100 and 25 of them don't, even though there may not be a great difference. You just run out of room. But, um, you know, the, the interesting thing is I, I was thinking about this, you know, Brendan McKay pitched 49 innings in the big leagues last year. So if he gets four more outs, he no longer qualifies for this list and quite honestly, if that were the case, I'd probably put the Padres ahead of the Rays. So not that we'll update the farm system rankings, you know, week into the season, but if Brennan McKay makes a raise on opening day, he's going to graduate off this list as soon as he pitches, you know, assuming he gets outs in his first start. And at that point, I'd probably say the, the Padres would be number one at, at that point. You know, and the Dodgers, you know, since we started ranking farm systems, they're the only team that's been the top 10 every time. But they're interesting, too, because – I would think fairly early in the season, Gavin Lux and Dustin May are, are going to graduate off the list. Tony Gonsolin, who, who's one of those guys who didn't make the top 100, but his top 100 caliber is going to graduate off the list. And, and so if we were to redo the rankings on May 1st, the, the top five might look, you know, I think you'd probably have Padres one, Rays two, and the Dodgers might drop out of the top five. But, you know, the, the Dodgers are amazing to me because they're like, it's one of the things that comes up a lot. Uh, I mean, at least for me, I'm assuming for you, like when talking to, to even talking to farm directors running around spring training and things like that, just that the ability to win at the big league level and continuously have a strong farm system is really hard. You know, when you see teams that had really good farm systems and that leads to success at the big league level, but those guys graduate off or they're winning. So they trade some prospects away for big league parts uh, or a combination thereof. And, 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 and it's cyclical. Uh, you know, the Kansas City Royals had that unbelievable farm system, and then eventually they, they won it all, and they knew that they were sacrificing their farm system. The, the Cubs, you know, come, come to mind. It, it happens at all. But the Dodgers have found, like, the, the magic elixir, it seems, right, that they are able to consistently have a top 10 farm system while continuously competing and or winning the NL West. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, to, you know, another factor that makes it difficult is, you know, this is, you know, we, we don't have the, the, this draft system, you know, which was an informal slotting system before where MLB would encourage you not to spend on the draft, but you could do where you want. And now if you win, it's, it's affected the raise some, but, you know, they obviously have a great farm system. If you win, you not only pick lower, you know, at the end of each round, but you have a lot less money to spend on the draft. You, you can't say, well, we're picking 30th. But we'll go out and we'll spend three million on our, our our second round pick. Or hey, you know we don't have an early first round pick, but we can kind of game the Type A Type B free agent system, and we'll pick up a couple of supplemental first rounders. I mean, you, you can't do that anymore. And you know, it, it's interesting. I mean, you just look at you know the, the Dodgers and how they've built their system. I mean, Gavin Lux, okay, he was a first round pick, but he was twentieth overall pick, and. And, you know, he would have gone probably in that 20 to 30 range, but like the, the, the Dodgers took him as high as he was going to go. Dustin May was a third round pick, 
you know, in 2016. That, that's a great draft pick. That same draft, they got Tony Gonsolin, you know, as a ninth round pick. You know, you see teams, usually you're, you're trading prospects for veterans, but they, in essentially a salary dump trade last year, got Josiah Gray and Jeter Downs from the Reds. They both became top 100 prospects. Jeter Downs in Boston now, obviously, as part of the Mookie Betts trade. But as an offshoot of the Mookie Betts trade, they go get Bruce Dark Graterall in that deal, too. So, I mean, yeah, they, they have first-round picks on their list, but they also have later-round picks. You know, Jacob Amaya was, was an 11th-round pick. Uh, you know, Zachary Kinstry, who, who's had a really nice spring, and they've added to the 40-man roster. He was a 33rd-round pick. You know, Brett DeGus. You know, I'm not saying Brent Gus is a top 100 prospect, but Brent Gus might has a very good chance to pitch in the Dodgers bullpen this year after an amazing season last year. He was a 33. I mean, they 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 have they potentially got a big leader in the 33rd round of the draft in back to back years. So they've kind of killed it. You know, you know, internationally. Yeah, internationally, I think is in a lot of ways that can be a uh, a, a tremendous equalizer to like say if you're picking late all the time or maybe even if you didn't have a good draft or things like that now you still have to go out and scout the players and get it right but uh everyone is spending roughly the same amount of money and you can bring in like a lot of you can bring in a lot of volume you know if you trust your international scouting department and the dodgers clearly do you're able you might find a lot of high-end talent um this is fresh in my mind and we'll get to spring training a little bit but you know in giants camp today their kind of rededication to looking for, for international talent is a big reason why the Giants are now up at number 10 on the, on the top 30. So it's just, to me, that that's one area where I think that can be constant. So even if you're winning every year and you're picking 30th in the draft, you can still go out and hand out 17 six-figure bonuses, you know, knowing that it's a little bit of a, of a crapshoot because you're signing them when they're 16 years old and you can never be sure. But with that volume comes a, a, a chance, especially if you have good international scouts of, of finding talented top 30 type players. No, definitely. You know, it'll be, if we have an international draft, that will make it harder for teams that are winning to keep their farm systems, you know, running efficiently because it, it no longer, I mean, yes, everybody spends the same, but a lot of it's still the legwork, you know, identifying guys early. You know, most of these international guys are locked up by, you know, the top guys by the time they're 14 years old and, and teams going ahead and being able to do that. And, and, and that will change, obviously, in the future, too. So in terms of this, this farm system and you know, like I said, you know, it, it's constantly changing. You know, when you look outside our, our top 10 and in our top 10 farm systems, real quick, for, for people who haven't seen the article or are listening in their cars, whatever, from 1 to 10, we went Rays, Padres, Dodgers, Marlins, Tigers, Diamondbacks, Twins, Braves, Mariners, and Giants at number 10. Outside that top 10, who jumps out to you as an organization that, you know, we update this list at midseason or maybe a year from now? you know, might make a leap into that top 10 or, or even push for the top five. Yeah, I think the one that jumps out and, you know, this is one of these instances where you're you're going to pick an organization whose top 30 list you at least oversee. So I'm going to go with the Orioles um, and I will give tons of credit because our beat writer Joe Trezza actually did their top 30, did an absolutely fantastic job with it. He was like a seasoned veteran because uh, this is a different animal doing these lists. But I think 
you know, the Orioles not that long ago were, were down near the bottom uh, and they have been able to really build back up uh, now, largely because of the draft. Uh, I think, you know, anytime you have the number one overall pick and you're able to get an Adley Rushman, that automatically is going to make you interesting because he's, you know, a potential to be a, a once in a generation type of player. Obviously, you have to wait to see what happens. Uh, you know, they did a very nice job uh, getting Grayson Rodriguez. Uh, and a lot of people, and I myself included, you know, seemed a little bit of a, a little tiny bit of a reach based on where we thought he was going to go. But the way he's pitched, not so much. You know, DL Hall, these are just the top 100 guys. There's more depth than there used to be because I think they've managed, they've done better finding talent. And I think it's only going to get better. Uh, one, because obviously they have another really high pick in the 2020 draft. So that's going to give them another sort of elite level impact type of player. But under the new regime, they've, for the first time in a very, very long time, are making uh, an impact in Latin America. And that is where, um, this is like a, a theme you know, for, for the early part of this podcast, but that's where they can sort of play catch up in a hurry in terms of adding depth. And then hopefully some of those really, really young guys who, yes, are high risk, high reward, turn into those elite level players, even if you wait a little bit longer uh, to, to, to do that. So I think the combination of those things, you know, doing, doing well in the last couple of drafts and then that sort of rededication to finding players in, you know, the Dominican and Venezuela and places like that have kind of put them, you know, now in the upper half of all 30 teams with a kind of a, an up arrow next to their names and, uh, you know, they, they're not going to have like too many guys that are going to graduate off right away. Um, I don't think. And there are some interesting guys beyond the top 30 who, you know, and, and there was a time not long ago when the Orioles, it was hard to find 30 guys. So uh, I, I think that they're just kind of well positioned and it would not surprise me, especially after the draft, when we re-rank uh, in you know late July, early August, when, whenever that exact date is, that uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they ended up in the top 10. What about you? The Indians are that team for me, and they are a team that I that I cover. You know, do the top thirty-four, and they're just—it's such a young farm system. I don't know if we've broken this down yet, but my guess is they might still have the youngest top thirty list in, in the game. I'm pretty sure they did a year ago, and I mean even the guys who are their, their best prospects who are older, like like Nolan Jones. Okay, he, he's going to be an old man of twenty-two. He'll turn twenty-two in May. He's the second oldest player in their top 10. He's already played in double A and Tyler Freeman, who will turn 21 in May. He's already played in high class A, but they just have a bunch of guys who are going to play this year at 20. Bo Naylor, George Valera, you know, Brian Rocchio, uh, Aaron Bracho, uh, Gabriel Rodriguez, uh, you know, on the pitching side, Daniel Espino and Ethan Hankins. Th these guys are just getting started. And I think, you know, it, it's that, group of players i think you know when we're doing a top 100 list we're ranking farm systems you're looking long-term talent but you know when you're weighing it out you are going to give credit more credit to a guy who's performed in high a or double a 
if everything's equal to a guy who's been in rookie ball or short season ball. That's just the way it works. You know, I mean, if the younger guy's tools are a lot better, you'll take that guy. But if they're similar, you're going to take the guy who's proven he can hit double-A pitching. And I think as these Indians prospects, these, these super young prospects go out and continue to prove themselves, they're, they're going to continue to rise up the rankings. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting. We picked 12 and 13, like to see they're, they're both on the precipice uh, of making jumps up for, for a variety of reasons. So um, that should uh, that should be really interesting to see how that transpires. Um, we're excited to you know kind of get things going. I'm you know especially I think you know, spring training, and again that we'll, we'll end we'll end our podcast with the spring training talk. The other thing that we finished finally uh, was all of our top thirties, um, all nine hundred players ranked, and with reports, grades, the whole nine yards. And people haven't checked it out. The new, the, the way it's produced and formatted has been, I think is really cool. Uh, so I encourage people to do that. But one of the things that we did uh, as we've done the last couple of years is uh, uh, one for each team story on who we think the number 31 guy for each organization. So Jim, picking one hitter and one pitcher, who are your favorite 31st guys? And I'm assuming like me, that we're going to pick guys who are from our individual systems. I, I did scan the entire list, but I but I did come back and take two teams, uh, players from two teams that I cover. The, the hitter would be Garrett Frechette. He's first baseman in the Giants system, and it, and it kind of pains me. I mean, the Giants had so much talent last year. They had a very deep draft. We, we've talked about how they – Without sacrificing talent, they went under slot and got Hunter Bishop at number 10, which I still understand how he was under slot because I thought getting him at 10 was a steal in terms of talent. They, they, they saved money on Logan Wyatt in the second round, and then they were able to go over slot on like seven, I think, of their next nine picks. So they had a really deep draft, and they had another good international class, and they made some trades. So they they, they had more prospects I knew what to do with, which was a change. And Garrett Frechette was on the list at one point. And I can't remember if he got bumped by either. Like, and they didn't stop. Even in December, they were adding guys to my list because they made the Will Wilson trade. They got him in, in the Zach Cozart salary dump. You know, Will Wilson was the 15th overall pick in the draft last year. And then they, they also had, you know, in the Rule 5 draft, you know, I, I, I'll admit I, I'm kind of a Rule 5 snob. You know, <laughs> I'm not a Rule 5 fan. Um, I, I, I think the, the draft has kind of outlived its, its original purpose, and it, it was created, you know, 100 years ago. But um, Danny Jimenez, so they got in the Rule 5 draft, pushed his way on the list. So one of those two guys, I don't know if it was Will Wilson or Danny Jimenez, I can't remember, pushed Garrett for shut off. I was like, okay, when I re-ranked the list, and when we, like we just did, I'll get Garrett Frechette back on there. And lo and behold, I still didn't have room for Garrett Frechette. He, he literally came out as number 31 um, again. But but I, I do like him. I thought he's a very interesting high school hitter who kind of slid in the draft a little bit last year, fifth rounder, because he got mono, didn't have the best senior season, wasn't at full strength. But, you know, as, as long as he doesn't lapse into kind of selling out for power at times, He's got the, the 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 pure hitting ability, the bat speed, the leverage to produce for power and average, and I really like him. Uh, so he'd be one. Then my my pitcher would be a guy. I don't know if you got to see him in the fall league. I I saw him once. Glenn Otto of the Yankees, who has been very good in pro ball since he's been when he's been healthy. He was a fifth round pick out of Rice. Fifth round was probably a couple rounds lower than he deserved to go, but he pitched a lot in relief in college. And so guys didn't get a, a great look at him as a starter. The Yankees have made him a starter. 
And he's 92-97, and he's got a spike curveball. He misses bats. It's just a matter of staying healthy with him. So those would be my two guys. How, how about your your favorite hitter and pitcher who was their team's number unofficial number 31 prospect? So just for clarification, can I pick a guy that I put at 31 who has already been moved into a top 30, or is he off the board? So he was in, he was in our article where we did this, and he's already been moved up in the last uh, – I'm going to say no. I, I think you should stick with the guy who's not on the top 30 list. People can't read. Is that, were you going Jan Contreras? No, it was, it was Luis Ortiz. The row five guy got sent back and Luis Ortiz. This is the left-handed teenage Luis Ortiz, not the older right-handed Luis Ortiz, who is also in the Orioles organization. Very, very confusing. I'm trying to make sure I had enough information about the left-handed Luis Ortiz. Yeah, I think officially you could go with the right-handed Luis Ortiz, but not the left-handed Luis Ortiz. Right. And I might, by the way. The right-handed Luis Ortiz is still kind of interesting. All right, so I'm going to put a pin in who I'm picking as my as my pitcher. Um, I think, uh, you know what? Well, I'm going to go with Penn Murphy as my pitcher. I was wondering if you were going to do that. He was great. Yeah, he was fantastic in the fall league. I don't know that he, like, I think he's the best player of the 31st guys that I'm looking at, but it's kind of hard to uh, argue with the numbers. And it's kind of crazy because wasn't it, was it, didn't you say it was 33rd round picks that you were talking about when we were? Yes. Uh, right. So that's what round Penn Murphy was drafted in by the Mariners in 2018. He was in the California League, which is not an easy place to pitch, and was 10.8 strikeouts per nine and two and a half walks per nine. Then he really was very dominant in the Fall League, and that got him added to Team USA in Olympic qualifying. So he's kind of an interesting guy without, like, wow stuff, but extremely effective. I'm not sure what he is when all is said and done. but So he'd be my, my pitcher. And then I think I'm going to go behind the plate for my my 31st hitter with Willie McIver with the Rockies. Kind of a super athletic backstop, taken in the ninth round out of University of Washington in 2018. Spent the year in in, in Asheville, you know, so he didn't move up, uh, take that for it is, but he was a guy who was kind of circled by, by some people in the Rockies front office who as a potential breakout for this year. And he did some good things, double-digit in home runs, actually double-digit in stolen bases, and he threw out like 30% uh, of potential base dealers last year. So there's some interesting ingredients there, and if you know if the Rockies people I talk to are, are right, we may be talking more about him even when we re-rank or when I need to, to add a guy with uh, the Rockies when there are graduations. And there should be graduations on that list uh, at some point in the near future, I would think. I got to say one more thing about Penn Murphy, and it's reminding me that when I go to spring training, I'm going to Mariners camp. I may have to talk to Penn Murphy because when we were watching him break out in the Fall League last year, and I was looking at his background, I had no recollection, because he didn't play much, that he was an infielder at Vanderbilt at the start of his college career. He he redshirted for a year, played, played sparingly for two years, then pitched a little bit, moved to the mound and pitched a little bit, and then transferred to Santa Clara as a graduate senior and did well enough to get drafted. So he, he just fascinates me. I, I fully endorse your, your Penn Murphy pick there. Okay, good. Phew. Because if I don't have your endorsement, then I won't sleep tonight. 
All right, so the last thing we want to do is uh, is talk a little spring training. I mean, we're right in the middle of it. I'm almost at the end of my travels. I did my Florida my Florida swing. Uh, you've done your Florida swing, and it's always a fun time for us because we get to run around and talk to, to prospects. We're lucky enough to, to hop on the network and do that this year in terms of bringing prospects on with us, and then also stuff that we're doing for the site. And, you know, good FaceTime with farm directors to, to kind of dig into their farm system and camp a little bit more. So just curious, you know, Florida was early enough where there's not a whole lot going on on the minor league side. Um, but there's still cool stuff going, going around, you know, going on. So Jim, for you, what were some of your highlights of your, your Florida swing and, and remind me and everyone, which five camps you went to? Yeah, no, it was it, it was fun. I, I actually did get a backfield game in because the the Tigers had an inner squad game one day, so that was like a nice bonus. In fact, Matt Boyd pitched in that game. You know, we, we're bouncing around, we're doing writing. Lakeland isn't close to any other spring training site, so like on Lakeland Day, I was up at six in the morning to drive there to get there at seven thirty. Interview Matt Manning for MLB Network, and then I faced an hour and a half drive back and I was like okay I'll be out of here you know by noon or whatever got all my interviews and all my work done by 10 and there was an inner squad game so I saw Matt Boyd and then Matt Boyd was pitching that game because they wanted to give Casey Mize, Matt Manning and Alex Fiedo work in the big league game so I'm like oh I gotta stay wait around, around for that and of course I left my sunscreen in the uh, hotel so that was the day I got sunburned but uh, so that was kind of a highlight seeing seeing those guys pitch um you know, it was interesting. Matt Manning got knocked around a little bit by the Yankees that day, um, but snapped off some good curveballs. It was interesting because he, Fido got knocked around too for the Tigers, but it seemed like all three of those guys were working on their changeups. Like they were told that day, you're going to throw your changeup in, in the big league game. And Mize, I don't think he threw many splitters because, again, I think they were having him – well, I mean, his splitter is his changeup. So I think they were having him maybe emphasize his, his, his breaking stuff. But um, Mize's command was very obvious. So that was kind of like a bonus day of, of more game action than I thought I would saw, I'd see. And, and honestly, you know, it's interesting, not that this was really captured for network or for, um, for MLB.com, Jonathan, but um, I had a good time talking. You know, it's always fun talking to players. I wound up talking to Adley Rutschman probably for 20 or 30 minutes while the MLB network crew was, you know, I guess we were there. It was Heidi Watney. And I think Carlos Pena was in Sarasota when I was there. And they were doing stuff with other Orioles big leaguers. So I was just having a casual conversation with Ali Rutschman about all kinds of things. You use analytics, which, you know, he, they didn't use much at Oregon State. We're talking about their incredible comeback uh, against Arkansas at the College World Series and just kind of all kinds of stuff. And then, um, you know, talking to Alec Bohm with, with the Phillies, you know, we interviewed him on camera probably for, you know, five minutes because – I don't know how MLB Network keeps straight of all the stuff, keeps track of all the stuff they do. There's like 15 elements they cram into like a one-hour show um, and make it seem like it's all seamless, and you're actually talking to the person back in the studio. But so we had, we had Alec Bohm on on uh, on camera for probably I don't even know if it was five minutes. It was interesting because you know in my past I've interviewed him at spring training last year, and I interviewed him in the fall league, and nice guy, but not a guy who. He didn't, it wasn't necessarily the most, you know, ebullient speaker when you were talking to him. Didn't seem like he loved talking to the media. You know, he was polite, but just kind of like, okay, I'll answer my questions and get in and get out. And so anyway, I, I guess he didn't have anywhere to be. We wound up chatting, Heidi Watney and I and Alec, probably for 20 or 30 minutes and talking about all kinds of stuff. So that, that, that was kind of fun to me. You know, as you said, 
you know, I, I'm hoping for some more game action by the time I'm in Arizona in, in about a week or so, there should be some backfield action, but, um, it was, it was fun talking to you. And, and my, my bonus fact, talking to Bryson Stott, I did not realize what are the odds that you would get drafted by an organization and you have a connection to their best hitter and their best pitcher. Like, like Bryce Harper's sister was coached by Bryson Stott's mother in cheerleading in high school. So Bryce had actually, Bryce Harper had actually told him in the spring, if you're there at 14, the Phillies are going to take you. And when he got picked, Bryce called him to say, I told you so. so he gets to his first big, you know, spring training as a pro. And, you know, not that he's, you know, trying to hang on Bryce's every word, but he's got a guy who is there for him. And then it turns out, and on top of that, I guess he and Aaron Nola share a second cousin in common. So he, he knows Aaron Nola really well. And he said that Aaron Nola was telling him, hey, if you, you know, anytime you want to come stand in while I'm throwing a bullpen just to get a look. And Bryson's like, I'm not going to go walk into the middle of, you know, of Aaron Nola's bullpen and, and just stand in. But Aaron Nola's like, anything you need, let me know. So I, I thought that was kind of cool that Bryson Stott <laughs> has a connection to two of the Philly's biggest stars uh, that, that just coincidentally that winds up being the team that picks him. How about you? What, what stood out for you? Um, well, you know, I have had the benefit, the, so I did the first run, you know, uh, in, in spring training and there were no games on backfield. I mean, in most places, minor league camp hadn't even started, but I had some, I had some good conversations, probably in Florida. The best conversation I had was with Jackson Rutledge, the nationals first rounder, uh, who's bigger and stronger and also likes to cook, you know, who knew? We ended up talking about watching Chopped. The conversations were very good. Like a personal note, it was just a lot of fun to have my son Zeev with me and having him run around and and meet some of the farm directors who we talk to all the time. And uh, I actually got to, uh, he is pitching at Point Park University. uh, And so I actually got to throw with him on a backfield in the spring training camp because we don't get to get outside much in Pittsburgh. So that was a nice little positive note. Braxton Garrett was also really, really good. And it was nice to reconnect with him after uh, having seen him in, uh, I guess the first time was the NHSI when he pitched there. And he's a ridiculously competitive guy. So I, I think he is going to kind of jump uh, jump up on radars and that. So that, those are probably the highlights in Florida. Here in Arizona, I've had some really, really good conversations. I talked to Seth Corey today from the Giants, and like I could have just kept going. I knew that the video was going to be too long. You know, I didn't even get to ask him about. You know, he was a Division One football recruit. Um, I didn't even ask him about football. We just talked about pitching development mostly. He was unbelievable. Today was a good day. We had Joey Bard on for the network too, and uh, he was really good there. I've, had, I've been able to you know talk to some good people. Bobby Witt Jr., who's always you know good personality. And then yesterday, uh, I did catch a minor league game. The Padres played a minor league game against Team Germany, whose starting catcher is Bruce Maxwell. But uh, that file that under, you never know who you're going to see on a backfield on any given day. But what was fun uh, about that is that they, the Padres, had a really, really good lineup. They were, none of their, like, big arms through, at least not the, the, the part that, that I saw, but the guys that they had in that lineup, Gabriel Arias, who is number eight on, on the top 30. Uh, and I think a lot of people would circle as the 
you know, next guy to maybe jump onto uh, a top 100. Uh, he was in the lineup. Owen Miller was in the lineup. Uh, Tukapita Marcano was in the lineup. Jason Rosario, Edward Olivares, Blake Hunt, Esteban Quiros, Tirso Ornelas. I think those are the guys that I saw. All top 30 guys. Um, so that was fun. Tweeted out some video, uh, some some good at bats there. It, it was that was fun just because one of the best things, as we've said over the years, is when you when you when you're able to just wander the backfield and lay eyes on some of these guys that we write about and we talk to people about, but we don't always get to see is always like a huge bonus. That was a fun game to to watch, you know, even if it wasn't against other prospects per se, but just to see those guys on the field. That that's probably been uh been the highlight. Uh there's some there was some good stuff going on on the Giants minor league side today uh that I, that I, I couldn't stay for. So I did not get to see Sean Jelly pitch. But uh I did have the conversation with Seth Corey. But so good stuff uh all around. I'm here for one more day. I've got Angels camp tomorrow before I head home unless flights start getting canceled. Then Mike Rosenbaum comes, and then it's your turn. And I think we've all put the money on you as you being the one who's going to have to drive home. I, I've actually already made plans to pack like three or four days worth of extra clothes just in case that comes to fruition. So so <laughs> while in Arizona, I will be wearing the, the, the famous navy blue polo five days in a row. And in case anybody's watching, I have five different shirts. It will not be the same shirt five days in a row. And then I will bring some non-MLB Network polos to – uh, probably a three-day drive if I wind up having to drive home to Chicago. Um, well, ho- hopefully it's like bringing an umbrella, right? You bring an umbrella and it doesn't rain, so the fact that you're bringing the extra clothes will mean that uh, you'll be fine. That's my hope. All right, well, safe travels to you, hopefully, um, and uh, we'll do this again uh, next week. For uh, Jim Callis, I'm Jonathan Mann, and you've listened to another edition of the Pipeline Podcast. Talk to you next time.